Okay. I was talking about the tribe of Asher and how the Asher was born and the blessing on that tribe. And Moshe's blessing on the tribe was, and of Asher he said, be, be Asher, may Asher be blessed above his sons, above sons, let him be acceptable to his brothers, let him dip his foot in oil, your shoes shall be iron and bronze, and as your day shows, so shall your strength be. Now this is really talking about the olive oil that was abundant in the land of Asher. So Asher is the tribe that is the associated with the month of Shvat, and there is a sphera that is of one of the spheres is associated with each one of the months. Uh, we know that there are only 10 spheres and there are 12 months and 12 tribes. So the sphere of Keter, the crown, is divided into three parts. There's the crown of Torah, the crown of kingship, and the crown of priesthood. And the crown of Torah is associated with the month of Shvat and the tribe of Asher. Now, also, there is a body part that is associated with each one of the months and this body part is the stomach and the the sense the spiritual sense that's associated with the month is delight or pleasure and how that is manifest how it is expressed is through eating so we're going to talk about all of this tonight. Last night we were talking about how Mitzrayim comes from the word Mesar and eating is associated with the Egyptian exile. Uh, interestingly in the month of Shvat you have um, the readings about the the exile and the exodus from Egypt. This next week, this next Shabbat, the reading is Bo. And then the next one is Beshelach. And after that we have Mishpatim. And then we have, uh, no, yeah, Mishpatim. No, Yitro and then Mishpatim. That's right. So there's Bo, Beshelach, Yitro, and Mishpatim. And all of these have to do with the exodus from Egypt, the people of Israel becoming a nation, and the giving of the Torah. Taking the, the Torah as like the constitution for the country. So eating, you can think about how the people of, of Israel went down to Egypt in the first place. What took the people of Israel down into Egypt in the first place? Anyway. Do you remember why Yaakov's family descended down into Egypt? because of the famine. Exactly. They went down into Egypt so they could feed their families. 
So eating is a very important thing for a human being. We can't eat, we can't survive if we don't eat. But yet eating is also an area where we can be enslaved. And it's very interesting. The neck, where the throat is located, is a very narrow part of the body. And thus in Hebrew, the throat is called Metsar Hagarom, which means the narrow of the neck. You get that Metsar is like Mitzrayim. Through this narrow passageway pass three life-sustaining organs and vessels. The trachea is the windpipe, which is situated on the right side of the throat, carries air. The esophagus, which is situated to the left and slightly behind the trachea, close to the nap of the neck, carries food, and the jugular veins, and the, and the arteries that carry blood. Rabbi Nachman teaches that stories found in the Bible carry messages for contemporary living. And he illustrates this through the land of Egypt, Mitzrayim, which corresponds with Metzar HaGarom. The history of the Jews as a nation begins with the descent into the exile of Egypt as a result of Yosef being sold into slavery. Paro, the Egyptian ruler, who represents the forces of evil, shares the same root letters as the word Orpha or the nap or the back of the neck, alluding to the esophagus or eating. So you can understand the Torah on many levels. To entice the Jews, Paro needed the assistance of three ministers, the chief butcher, the chief baker, and the chief wine steward. They represent the main types of nourishment we take into our system. It's animal, the meat for the butcher, bread or vegetation is the baker, and the wine, wine is liquid. Thus, to gain control over the Jews, Paro manipulated them through their most basic need, the need to eat. Though sold as a slave into Egypt, and this is the Metzar Hagaron, Yosef, the spiritually inclined person, persevered in his pursuit of godliness. In the biblical narration, we find that Yosef faced all three of Paro's ministers under adverse conditions, but Yosef held a fast, meriting to become a ruler over his would-be enslavers. This teaches us that one who remains steadfast in his spiritual endeavors can rise above the circumstances of the environment and become master of his own destiny. However, Yosef's descendants and those of his family, the Jews, succumbed to Paro and his ministers. They befriended their Egyptian neighbors, ate of their bread, and became entrapped in the narrowness of the neck, the Mesar Hagaron, and eventually became their slave. Obviously, the road to evil spiritual slavery stems from improper eating. So we can actually become slaves to something that is essential for our lives. We can't live without food. 
but you see people with eating disorders, you, you see people misusing this very essential thing, eating, where they overeat or they undereat, they starve themselves or something, and they miss the whole point. And so the idea of this month's dimension is a rectification of that and how we can literally use eating as for our health, but also for a rectification in the whole world. Eating is a basic human need, the primary action that binds body and soul together. Rabbi Nachman teaches that if a person is intent upon spiritual growth when he eats, he can ascend to the highest level. Conversely, a constant obsession with food or indulging in gluttony can lead to spiritual stagnation. Regarding this, Rabbi Nachman taught, the belly of the wicked always feels empty. And this is Proverbs 13:25. Have you ever noticed how when you're feeling um, at a loss, you're feeling a lack in your life somewhere? Like, for instance, when you're, God forbid, out of a job or you're at odds with something, you'll feel yourself always hungry. Sometimes that's exactly what happens, that the lack you're feeling in your life in some area will express itself in physical hunger that just can't be satiated. You're not really hungry, but this lack is just saying to you, I'm hungry, I need to eat. Not everybody, but for some people, this is, this is very true. And that's why some people will indulge in overeating when they're feeling a lack in some area of their life. The stomach, having received the ground of food, stores it as it's being broken down into pulp. This pulp is then passed into the intestines where it's broken down further and passes into the digestive organs. This is the course the nourishment takes as it plays its part through the purification system of the body. Considering that the full stomach takes hours to void, it is indeed the belly of the wicked which always feels empty. For those who constantly crave food are never feel satisfied and always hunger for more, even when there is food in their stomach. Now it can be the wicked or it can be something within ourselves. And the thing is, is if we are turning away from Hashem or not even really turning away from Hashem consciously, but if we're not turning to Him with that lack in our lives, then we, it is a wickedness. If we are trying to find some other solution or if we're letting ourselves be overcome with grieving, overcome with depression that just drags us down where we feel this insatiable need to eat, this is a wickedness. That's what Rabbi Nachman is talking about. He taught, peace and prosperity go hand in hand, while hunger bodes strife and war. Therefore, a craving for food is a sign that one has enemies. By breaking one's craving for food, one can gain peace with one's enemies. And I'm not talking about starving yourself here. I'm talking about where we can come to a balance of understanding when we are completely our bodies have enough we have eaten enough 
and we don't need that extra food. Sometimes that's difficult. Aside from human enemies, those people who are jealous of or hate others, the enemies Rabbi Nachman refers to are actually a person's own inner organs, which can overcome and enslave him. They prey upon his desires, always seeking material satisfaction and never feeling a gratification otherwise. These enemies constantly seek to enslave a person with his lust. The mouth is a point of entry for all the food into the body. And the mouth, the verse in Exodus says, Who gave man a mouth? We can translate this, Who placed man his mouth? That is what qualifies a person to bear the title of man, his mouth. If a person eats out of lust, his mouth classifies him as an animal. However, when a person eats with the intention of nourishing his body so that he can develop spiritually as well as physically, his mouth can bring him to the towering spiritual level for man. For such eating fills the entire body with the awe of God. Where every single thing that we eat, we eat consciously, but we realize that we are raising up the sparks of everything that goes into our bodies, that if it's um, from the vegetable family, that we're raising that plant, the sparks of the plant up to the human level. If it is an animal, if we're eating meat, that animal is literally becoming part of our body and we're raising it to a human level. And so if we eat consciously, that we're consciously raising the sparks in the food, then this is eating with the awe of God. The mouth thus serves as a crucial organ in determining how one can become human in the fullest sense of the word. Throughout his teachings, Rabbi Nachman expressed in various ways the maxim that an honorable man can be discerned by the way he uses his mouth. Though one can show deference with any of several organs, it is the way one speaks to and about others that most notably demonstrates respect. However, honor is not limited to the way one speaks. Rabbi Nachman teaches that gluttony brings a person to loss of honor and favor. Thus we see that it is the mouth in both of these roles, as a spokesman and as a consumer, that establishes a man's level. The Balshan Tov was once with his fellows at an inn. As another patron there was beginning his meal, the Balshan Tov told his followers to look closely. They saw that the person's face had a certain bovine quality. The Balshan Tov told them, that this was because his attitude whenever he ate was that of an ox. This idea is reinforced when we consider the teeth. Adults have 32 teeth, which are helpful both for grinding food and for enunciating one's words. Corresponding to the 32 teeth is the Hebrew word for honor, kavod, which has a numerical value of 32. Thus we see in the teeth yet another indication that it is the mouth 
which establishes honor for others as well as for oneself. Rebbe Nachman taught, There are two ways in which one can eat like an animal. Some eat human food, but with an animal's appetite. Others eat like humans, but their food is not fit for human consumption. For there are sparks of holiness contained within the food we eat. And if these sparks are not properly rectified, both through the observance of the mitzvah related to food and through eating with the proper attitude, that food is fit only for a beast and not for humans. Eating like an animal in either of these two ways can result in illness. In Psalm 66, 12 says, You have caused men to ride over our heads. We have gone through fire and water. When one eats like an animal, one descends to the level of an animal. At that point, men ride over our heads. Since one has descended to the lower level, then we go through the fire and water, referring to fevers and chills. This is illness. True on both the physical and the spiritual planes. Water and fire correspond to love and awe. One who possesses true knowledge also possesses love and awe of God. However, the person who descends to the animalistic level forfeits his knowledge. He becomes subjugated to inappropriate love and fear, dominated by materialistic forces. His emotions become focused on the mundane rather than on the spiritual essence. Our sages teach that the stomach sleeps. The commentaries point out that the efforts required by the stomach for digestion tire out a person and bring sleep on him. Rabbi Nachman presents a similar thought when he expands in several discourses. A person's main vitality lies in his intellect. One who is not using his intellect to its full potential is considered asleep. Many people who seem to be alive are in fact sleeping their lives away. They are not using their intellect to its fullest capacity. This sleep may be brought on by improper eating or by eating the wrong foods. Eating can cause confusion. Immediately after eating, one often feels confused because the forces of the klipot, or the other side, also receive their nourishment from the food one eats. The mind develops through the nourishment it receives. When one eats unnecessarily, the superfluous food mars one's sense of judgment. If the body is free of excesses, one is able to experience a clear understanding of how to direct one's life. Have you ever noticed how sometimes if you eat too much sugar, you don't feel quite so well and you can't think too clearly? And definitely when we talk about alcohol or you know something like this, or there are some people who are very sensitive to certain foods. You eat too much fatty food, you might feel sick. So it's very important for us to know and to be careful about the kinds of foods that we eat as well. The functioning of the mind depends on what we eat. The nutrients we ingest are absorbed by the blood and carried to the lungs via the right ventricle of the heart. The oxygenated blood returns from the lungs to the left ventricle of the heart. 
From there it comes into the aorta, traveling via the aorta, aortic arc to the arteries and other branches until it finally delivers the oxygen-rich blood to the brain. Thus the mind is powerfully affected by the food one eats. Rabbi Nachman teaches that one's personality traits also depend on diet. This too is because food affects the mind through the nourishment, both physical and spiritual, it receives. While healthy foods will help develop the mind, unhealthy foods will have adverse effects. This applies not only to kosher versus non-kosher foods, but nutritious versus junk food as well, as the foods eaten with proper or improper attitude. So when we eat food, the proper attitude is that we think about how that food came into the world. We think about how Hashem created that food, how it came to us. And this is, in Judaism, we have different brachas and different blessings that we say on the food with that thought in mind. Specifically, if it came from a tree, we say, Borei pri If it came from the ground, if it's something that grew in the ground, like tomatoes or lettuce or corn or something, we say, Borei pri If it is something that is grain, something that is um, like rice or some kind of grain. And we say bore meaning mazanot. And if it's bread, then we actual bread that we would say a bracha on, then we're saying um mazano we're saying Hamosi Lechem Minaaret. And then there's there are differences too. If we're saying something on wine, if something that is uh, a bracha on actual wine or grape juice, we say borei prihagafen. But if we're actually eating the grapes, not drinking the wine or the grape juice, we see say borei prihaeit. So there are differences there. And it, and everything else, milk, dairy, water, everything else is she'akol that you brought forth everything that you created everything so for everything that we eat everything that we do and you can do this at, without being Jewish you don't have to say it in Hebrew you take a glass of water and you take it into your hand and we've talked about this before and if you hold the water in your hand and you really think about the blessings because remember when we had the class a while back on how water can pick up the energy and this is the whole thing about all the food that you're stimulating those sparks which is stimulating that energy so that it can be wholesome it can be nutritious and well you got to think about what you're doing too because it would be kind of stupid if you took a glass of poison, for instance, and said, I'm going to say a bracha on this, and it's going to be nutritious for me, my body. I mean, you have to use some sense, too. So, if we're taking in something that is nutritious, that is healthy for us, that's what I'm talking about. And even if you're taking vitamins, if you're taking herbs, 
anything like that, anything you're going to ingest in your body, you're not going to say a bracha on that. We don't do that. But when you do take vitamins, take any kind of medicine, in fact, herbs, anything like this, what I suggest is because you have an intention for taking that. Just like when you eat certain foods, you have certain intentions. It's supposed to nourish your body. So you're thanking Hashem how that came into the world. Well, the herbs, the vitamins, all of these, you have a certain intention that you want to have an effect on your body. So you hold that in your hand, and you can put your other hand over it. And just pray silently and focus on those pills, on that herb, whatever it is you're taking. Focus on that and focus on what you want that to do. And thank Hashem for the health that He has given to you. Thank Him for whatever that herb is, whatever that medicine is, that it's going to have a healing effect on you. And so that the, so that the best effect will happen. Because sometimes there will be a problem with potency. There will be a problem with the effectiveness. That it's not going to work as well as it could or it should. And sometimes the whole difference can be made in our attitude and in our prayers. That you can combine your prayers with eating, with taking medicines, herbs, whatever. Combine prayer with that. Don't put all of your hope and your trust into that one thing. And this is the whole idea of saying a bracha on food. That we're thinking about how the food came into the world. We're not putting all of our energy into this one item. Because being eating like that is like eating like an animal. Not thinking how it came into the world. Not thinking in terms of gratitude whatsoever. So that also differentiates us from the animals. That we're grateful. That we're focused on our lives in the world and Hashem's blessing on our lives in the world to the greatest extent. Overeating can cause illness. Since everything requires some source of nourishment, even the food one consumes must draw nourishment from somewhere. Eating activates the digestive tract, which processes the food into nutrients. To remain digestible, the nutrients themselves must have a source of life, which is now the body. When one eats in reasonable quantities to supply the body's requirements, the food finds its life within the body. However, when one eats in excess of what is required, the food itself finds no source of life support, as it serves no positive purpose for the body. Since it nevertheless persists in seeking its own nourishment for life, it draws sustenance from the body itself and can cause any number of illnesses. One's lust for food testifies to one's distance from truth or godliness. And because of a person's lust for food, 
God, as it were, hides his face from him, as in Devarim 31.17, I will hide my face and he will be devoured. That is, his devouring causes me to hide my face. This is why, when troubles beset the Jewish nation, it's customary to fast. Fasting indicates a breaking of one's desire for food, thereby reversing the process and causing godliness to be revealed. And fasting can be the perfect way if a person has a problem with overeating. You just cannot overcome it. Fasting, just complete fast for a day or even a meal for a specific period of time during the day can be the remedy for that. In addition to teaching us about the effects food and eating have on the conscious mind, Rebbe Nachman speaks of their effects on the subconscious mind. The food turns nourishment plays a major role in functioning of one's subconscious, such as in one's dreams. The clearer a person's mind, due to proper nourishment and eating habits, the clearer his subconscious will be, and the more capable he will be of having what the Talmud calls angelic dreams. This is illustrated by the fact that the Hebrew word for food Ma'achol has the same letters as the word for angel, Malak. However, if a person's eating is improper, then both his mind and his subconscious are subject to distortion. The dreams he has are demonic, and they may take the form of nightmares and the like. Thus, improper eating enables the subconscious to tilt a person toward materialistic pursuits, even if his conscious desire is to find God. Indeed, Rabbi Nachman teaches in several lessons that negative eating habits have a consciousness-lowering effect that subsequently prevents one from growing spiritually. The Rebbe brings an analogy of someone sleeping and dreaming. In the dream, he lives for 70 years. Upon waking, he realizes that the 70 years he dreamt only took a quarter of an hour. By comparison, if the mind is not well utilized, one's entire lifetime may amount to only a few minutes of real value, quality time. Whereas if one uses the mind to its full capacity, one can indeed live a full life. Proper eating enables a person to realize his potential and live a full life instead of draining his life away. Now, we begin to see the debilitating effects of gluttony. Instead of filling the stomach, overeating causes emptiness. A person might feel full, but he's not satisfied. Gluttony creates enemies, and it brings illness. In its clutches, one may never come to live a full, vibrant life. It can affect the mind, and it brings about dishonor. It also distances us, up, us from truth, from spirituality, from God. There is no end to the problems, medical, financial, spiritual, and emotional, that are caused by gluttony that leads to lust.
we might conclude that it would be best to become an aesthetic, subsisting exclusively on dry bread and water. But this is not so. We're also, it's also wrong for us to excessively fast because we have to have strength to serve God. It's better to devote one's energies to Torah study and prayer and Rabbi Nachman tells us to fast only when required. On special days like Shabbat and festival, a simple meal does not suffice. One must do one's best to prepare and enjoy a sumptuous feast. It's clear then that eating per se is not damaging, only the negative motives that accompany it. Furthermore, if one eats for the sake of a mitzvah, in order to have the strength to serve God, it can lead one to great spiritual heights. Reb Yudel, one of Rebbe Nachman's closest followers, married into a poor but saintly family of Reb Leib Tastanit. Every day he was given a portion of bush for his meal. After several days, Reb Yudel showed displeasure at his meager, tasteless portion. His father-in-law, Reb Leib, noticed this and offered Reb Yudel a taste of his portion. Reb Yudel had a spoonful and marveled at the incredible taste, as if it were some type of heavenly food. Reb Leib said, See, my son, it's not the food, it's the eater. Rebbe Nachman taught, Eating with the intention of attaining spirituality is the only way to achieve certain levels of awe of God. Through proper eating, one can ascend to a level beyond intellect, beyond any conception of godliness one has yet attained. To better understand this, imagine a king who has the power to allocate his nation's bounty for the welfare of his kingdom. Every human being is considered a king, and his body is the kingdom. When he eats, he automatically distributes the bounty he consumes for the welfare of his kingdom. In Kabbalistic terms, God's bounty descends through the upper sphere to Malchut, kingship, kingdom, the lower sphere. From Malchut, it is dispensed through all the lower levels of creation. And indeed, it's Malchut that sustains all of creation. Malchut draws from the sphere above, while those sphere, in turn, must draw from higher levels. Providing food for one's body with understanding that this bounty comes from a higher source enables one to attain the higher level of perception. With greater clarity of perception, one can achieve a higher recognition of God's existence, resulting in the overwhelming level of awe for him. In fact, through eating properly, one may be privileged to ascend to a level of absolute humility and actually feel the presence of God. <coughs> In fact, it's interesting when we look at the Muppet Shvat that the Sira associated with the Muppet Shvat is actually the crown of Torah. And what is that? It is the tree of life. Crown of Torah, learning Torah knowledge. 
And you remember in the book of Ezekiel where it says that he saw a scroll and Hashem said to him, um, Son of man, take it and eat it. And he said it tasted like honey. There is all of this association with eating and learning Torah. That one more learning Torah is feeding our souls. So there is a parallel between eating food that nourishes our bodies and learning Torah. So we have to understand this so that we can eat in a proper way to, to fulfill our bodies so that it is a vessel for us to learn Torah. Rev. Nosen points out the difficulty of this endeavor is hinted at the expression breaking bread, the, the difficulty of feeling this humility in the presence of Hashem. Bread is the staff of life, and as such, it is inclusive of all other foodstuffs. It is evidenced by the fact that the blessing recited over bread exempts one from blessings for all the other foods. So if we're at a meal where we have bread, we say the, ble the, the blessing on the bread, and that includes all the other foods because it's the main, it's the uh, the top of the of the order of the blessings. Hebrew word for bread is lechem. It's related to the Hebrew word for waging war, lochem. Eating bread, and by extension any food, is indeed a battle. For one to attain holiness via eating, one must battle to break one's attitude toward bread. That is, one must keep in mind that eating is for spiritual benefit and not merely for physical gratification. On Shabbat and festivals, the battle is less intense and the goal is easier to attain. On weekdays, people are busy, even consumed with their work. This situation is liable to upset one's religious spiritual compass. On Shabbat, however, a person rests and enjoys the time and has the peace of mind to contemplate his life and consider his deeds. With such tranquility, one is able to eat more peacefully and with the right attitude. In fact, I remember... I'm not a rabbi. I've heard some different things about eating from various ones. And I met one rabbi who said to me that he always concentrated when he ate. So he would never talk while he ate. He was eating, he would just concentrate on that. If somebody started to talk to him, he would put down his fork and he would sit back and he would listen to what the person was saying and he would answer the person he would not eat while he was talking. And then he would go back to eating. And another rabbi, it was very interesting going to his house for Shabbat. He said, a study, and remember that the, the letter associated with this month is study, which is sadik, saint, eats only as much as he is able to elevate. Think about that. Not as much as he feels like, or as much as it fills him up, or any of that. He only eats as much as he is able to elevate. 
And you'll notice that some of the holiest people eat very little. They feel they're not able to elevate any more than that. And some people who are never thinking about holiness are very gluttonous. In fact, gluttons are usually not holy people. I say not usually. I'm not going to make that statement across the board, but watch them. That seems to be the case. The Talmud teaches that everything that Shammai ate was for the sake of Shabbat. When he saw a choice piece of meat on Sunday or Monday, he would buy it and set it aside for Shabbat. If he came upon a tastier piece, he would eat the first piece and keep the better cut for Shabbat. So this is the way that a person would honor Shabbat, by saying, oh, this, is, this looks wonderful, but he's not going to eat it during the week, because he wants to use that food as a way of honoring Shabbat, of lifting up Shabbat, making Shabbat very special. Shammai drew the spirituality of Shabbat into his weekday meals by keeping his mind focused on Shabbat throughout the week. Anyone can do this. Drawing the sanctity and spirituality of Shabbat into the weekday by, for example, making a habit of contemplating one's spiritual progress allows one to eat during the week, not out of gluttony, but out of a genuine desire for spiritual growth. One of Rabbi Nachman's best love stories is the sophisticate and the simpleton. At first, despite his great efforts to learn the craft, the simpleton is at best a shoddy cobbler who barely ekes out a living. Even so, he's very happy. Due to his simplicity and joy, the simpleton becomes the governor of his district and eventually rises to the position of prime minister of his land. And here's a little bit of this story. The simpleton had learned the trade of a shoemaker. Since he was simple, he had to study very hard to master it. And even then, he was not very adept at the craft. He married and earned a living from his work. However, as he was simple and not expert in his craft, his livelihood was meager. Since he had a limited skill, he had to work constantly and hardly had time to eat. He would take his first bite of bread while making a hole with his awl. He would then draw the thick sewing thread used by the shoemakers in and out, buy off another piece of bread and eat it. Yet, he was always happy. He was filled with joy at all times, for he had every type of food, drink, and clothing. He would say to his wife, My wife, give me something to eat. She would give him a piece of bread, and he would eat it. And then he would say, Give me some soup with broth. And she would cut him another slice of bread, and he would eat it and say, How nice and delicious this soup is. He would then ask her for some meat and other good food. And each time he asked, give him another piece of bread. He would enjoy it very much and praise the food highly, saying how well prepared and delicious it was. It was as if he were actually eating the food he requested. That's one of Rabbi Nachman's stories. When telling this story, Rabbi Nachman commented that the simpleman actually tasted in the bread whatever type of food he had requested. This is similar to the manna in the desert. It contained all tastes. This is because of his simplicity and his great joy. 
The story goes on to describe how he tasted in his water every type of beverage, and how he felt appropriately attired for any occasion whenever he donned his sheepskin coat. Due to his own pretentiousness, he found happiness and fulfillment in everything he ate, everything he drank, and everything he wore. Though he was at first the laughingstock of all who knew him, he eventually became the Prime Minister of his country. The battle of eating, be it for physical pleasure, to keep the body and soul together, or to use it as a stepping stone for greater spirituality, it's a lengthy and difficult one. The simpleton masters his lust through the realization that there is spiritual nourishment contained in every morsel he eats and drinks. Thus he attains spiritual energy which propels him to even greater heights and he eventually becomes a leader of men. We've discussed how the river flows from Eden and waters the garden it corresponds to the single source element and the four basic elements that make up man. Rebbing Nelson writes that by injecting spirituality into eating, a person can experience the wondrous pleasures of eating through his food. This is nourishment for the body food and nourishment for the soul, the sense of smell, prayer, and awe of God. Partaking of food for the body weakens the soul. How then are we permitted to eat? We can nourish the soul by focusing on the spiritual. The more spiritual our motivation when we eat, the more spiritually nourishing our food becomes. The most auspicious time for eating for spirituality is on Shabbat when we have access to the Oneg, the special pleasure of Shabbat. Oneg is an acrostic for Eden, for paradise. Nahar, for the river, may be gone. Thus, the food we eat on Shabbat brings us the highest level of, represented by Oneg. Oneg, which is Eden, river, and garden. Gluttony does, not, does indeed degrade a person. Nonetheless, even for one who has fallen into the pattern of gluttony, there is hope. Rebbe Nachman taught that one who overeats must regurgitate. But we have to be careful with this. You have to really be careful with this because this is a way to an eating disorder. So. Not necessarily that you would do this, and you must also be very, very careful not to go too far. <clears throat> the best thing to do when a person has a problem with overeating is that he should try very hard to fast and pray to overcome it. That's the best remedy. Now, Is there any, does anybody have any comment or question about this tonight? And you can see how it would be compared to the the flavory in this rhyme because um, it's the metar, it's the narrowness, the narrow place, 
and it is it enslaves us. That whole idea of eating it enslaves us, and it can be, it can really take control where we we can't overcome it. It's really interesting how something we, that we do like this can be two sides of the coin. It can either be something that enslaves us, something that can drag us down, or the other side of the coin is it can lift us up. It can be a mitzvah. It can actually lift us up and bring us to higher spirituality. And it all has to do with our attitude towards it. Something so basic. Something that we absolutely must have is food. And so our attitude towards it makes all the difference. And it divides it. It makes the difference of whether we're behaving as human beings or if we're behaving like animals. So it's very important for us to think about that, to be very aware of what we're doing. Alan and Eileen say, uh, Alan says, food, and I have been at odds for all my life. Well, I can understand how you feel. I have also had a really, I've had a real struggle with food myself. And Russell says, very informative and helpful class as well as needed. Yes, and this is a very important thing for us to be aware of in, um, in the process of thinking about healing. But, like I said, every month of the year has its own dimension, own dimension of where we're working on ourselves. And this month of Shvat focuses on the crown of the Torah and as well as eating. So it's focusing on the nourishment that comes into our whole being, our physical being and our spiritual being to bring us closer to Hashem in a balanced manner. Okay? Alright, so thank you for joining me tonight, and I look forward to seeing all of you next week. Yeah, on Monday night, same time, same place. And Tuesday night. Thank you. Thanks for being here.